This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Friends, we journey together in the book of Jonah from the Old Testament, uh, considering uh, this reluctant prophet, um, this guy who was called by God to go and share uh, the mercy of God with the detested Assyrians. Uh, And uh, like the reluctant prophets uh, in this room, we who are often reluctant to share the good news or to walk in the way of the Lord, uh, Jonah just took off. He took off for Tarshish because he felt like what God was asking him to do wasn't the right thing. It wasn't for him. He didn't want to do it. He felt afraid. We don't know exactly what was going on in his mind and heart, but he but he ran. And uh, but God loved him. And God had a plan for the Assyrians, and God had a plan for Jonah. So he wanted to get his attention. He wanted to get his attention. And so we continue on in our story. And remember, we've been um, just, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the whole fish thing, right? Uh, Jonah doesn't really spend, or the author of the letter, Jonah, does not spend a lot of time talking about it either. It's only one verse. I referred to it last week and this week. It's something that we believe happened as believers. Jesus uh, believed it. Um, But even the writer of the letter doesn't make a big deal of it. It doesn't uh, um, make it a huge deal. So I'm not going to make it a huge deal because I just think that it happened. I have no idea how. I think it did. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, Jonah 1.17 through chapter 2. This is the word of God. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Lord, thanks for this story, this true story about how much you love Jonah. May it teach and inform us about how much you love us. And may it move us into a greater understanding of your grace so that we might be willing to respond in obedience in every way to whatever it is you've called us to do for your sake so that you would be glorified and Jesus would become more famous in this world. We pray this in his name. Amen. 
Well, these days, uh, in order to get anything done, you've got to make an appointment. Right? You have to set a time with the person that you're going to meet. Uh, to, to get together, right? It even seems that when you're trying to spend time with your friends, you've got to make an appointment. We, we have busy schedules, we have a lot going on, and you got to make an appointment. If you have a doctor's appointment these days, or even a dentist appointment, and you don't show up for your appointment, you can get charged anyway, right? Have you ever had that happen to you? I missed my appointment and they send you a charge. Well, that's a difficult thing, right? We don't want that. But we know with all the things happening in life, with as busy as we are, appointments are important. And we see that God is making appointments for Jonah. He appoints a fish in this story. He appoints a plant later on in the story. He appoints a worm for Jonah because he wants to get Jonah's attention. He's trying to get Jonah's attention. Remember that God cares about the Ninevites, but he also cares about Jonah. He said originally to Jonah, Arise and go to the Ninevites. But Jonah, what did he do? He left. He ran, and God let him go. But when he gets on the boat, the Lord hurls a storm toward Jonah. Because God had a mission for Jonah, but he also had a message to Jonah. He wanted Jonah to tell the Ninevites, but he also wanted Jonah to know himself better. It was as much about Jonah's job as it was about Jonah's journey. A journey to see all people as valuable. A journey to see every person the way God sees them. And last week I talked about how we can see Jonah is beginning to have a change of heart. The pagan sailors he was using for his own purposes just to get away from God are finally people whose lives Jonah's disobedience has affected. And he begins to see that. Uh, it's a little lesson for us that anytime we're disobedient to God, it doesn't only affect our own lives, but it affects the lives of the people around us. But now Jonah sees somehow that they're people as they're begging him to do something, to pray, to help them get the things off the boat. Pray to your God. So Jonah's heart is beginning to change, we see. And now it seems that Jonah's finally understood that he can't actually outrun God. He's thrown overboard and he's stuck in the belly of the fish. And as I mentioned, I don't know exactly how it worked. Was it a fish? Was it a whale? I don't know. How did he breathe in there? How did it smell in there? How did he get out of there? I don't know. I don't know how the resurrection worked either. How did Jesus actually rise from the dead? I don't know, but I believe that it happened. How did God create the sun, the moon, and the stars? I don't know, but I think that he did. And so I'm just going with it. How does DNA know to replicate? I don't know, but it just does. But I do know that at this point of the story, Jonah calls out to the Lord. Jonah finally calls out to the Lord. He says, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and the Lord heard his voice. And notice a couple things about what Jonah uh, is saying. Maybe in your, in your Bible, as you were reading the passage, you see that those, uh, those verses are kind of indented or set apart, right? That typically means in the Bible that Jonah is quoting something. Right? What is it that Jonah is quoting? He's quoting a lot of Old Testament passages, but most of them are the Psalms. 
This isn't just some prayer that he is extemporaneously praying in the midst of the belly of the whale. He's going back to passages that he's learned throughout his life. In his darkest hour, and I imagine that it was physically, mentally, spiritually dark, Jonah goes back to what he's known, possibly those lessons that he learned as a child. When you go to a dark place, when you're experiencing something difficult, do you go back to God's word for hope and comfort? Or do you go to something else? To your phone, to Netflix, chocolate chip cookies? Do you go to something else? Now, I'm not saying it's bad to eat a chocolate chip cookie, but you should be reading your Bible at the same time. Because that's where our hope is found. And this is a lesson for us as, as people who are, we are members of a covenant, right? We're covenant people and we take pride and joy in the fact that we are a family. And all families, in order to flourish and to continue, need to invest in the next generation. That's why we invest in our youth, in our college students, in our children. That's why we take time and energy to teach them God's word so that when they get to a place that's difficult and, and challenging, they can also call upon God's word. But it means the same thing for us as adults, to be reflecting on God's word in the daytime so that when the nighttime comes and the darkness comes, we have God's word to be able to encourage us. When Jonah is literally at his lowest, he's literally underwater in the belly of a fish. Verse 3 says, he's been cast into the deep. The flood surrounds him, it says. Your waves and your billows that are the Lord's have passed over him. And think about all the ways that Jonah has been in decline throughout this whole story. He, he descended down to Joppa, we're told. He goes down to a ship. Now he's going down into the depths of the ocean, right? We know this, right? Any author is going to choose their words carefully. The author of this uh, story is highlighting important facts. Jonah's going down. Down into the depths, down in the depths of the ship, and now he's in the bottom of the ocean. Peter Craigie says, but not until he was all the way down, finally stripped of his buoyant self-sufficiency, was deliverance possible. When things were going well for Jonah, the brutality of his brokenness and his racism was hidden. But when called upon to share about God's coming judgment to the Ninevites, Jonah's true heart was revealed. It was only through his utter failure that he could begin to see what was really there and allow then God to work in his life. I heard a story about J.K. Rowling, is the, the woman who wrote the wildly successful Harry Potter books and movies and, and everything that, uh, that many, many, many people uh, have read. But did you know that before uh, she wrote this, she was living in her car? It's a long story, but she had suffered a lot of uh, distress and even abuse, and she had nothing. But it was only then, in that time of her life, where she really began to gain a focus to be able to tell those stories. See, there's a, a beauty, if I can say this, and a power to understanding the depth of the 
darkness in which we live, the brokenness that we experience. Um, because then, and only then, can we really understand the goodness and the truth of God. When God shares the, the truth of who he is and we really begin to take it to heart, then it begins to radically change who we are and how we live in the world. The problem is, most people in the world in which we live don't really understand the truth about who we really are. I read in a survey by Lifeway and uh, Ligonier Ministries um, that was asked, they asked a number of people, and it came out this week, uh, a number of different questions, both people in the church, uh, people identified as evangelicals that take the Bible seriously, believe it to be the Word of God, believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, um, and then also people outside the church. And here was a statement that they asked everyone to either agree or disagree. Here was the statement. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Agree or disagree? Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but would you agree or would you disagree with that statement? 71% of Americans agree that everyone is born innocent of God. Here's the issue for those that agree with that statement. The Apostle Paul does not agree with you or that statement. How do we know? He says, Among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. King David doesn't agree either. He writes in the Psalms that there is no one righteous, not one. He writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So 71% of Americans in this study agreed with that statement. And I wasn't really surprised by that, but I was surprised by how many people who identify as being evangelical agree with the statement. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Like I said, typically evangelicals look to Christ alone for their salvation. They believe the Bible is the word of God that should be obeyed and that we are actually called to share our faith in Jesus Christ. But according to this survey, 65% of evangelicals believe that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. But that isn't what the Bible teaches. And it's not true. It's not true for you. It's not true for me. It's not true for Jonah. Now, maybe because Jonah thought that he was part of a people that had the law of God, right? He was a member of the covenant. He didn't, he didn't really need to know what God actually believed. Maybe it was not whether or not you're born innocent, but it's if, if you're born into the right family, you're born into the right culture. You know, see, after all, Jonah's people, they, he wasn't an, uh, a violent person like the Assyrians that lived in the city of Nineveh. He came from a good people. They were members of God's covenant family, after all. But we realize and we see in Jonah that he was too proud to be able to take the good news of the gospel to the Assyrians and the Ninevites. And when God asked him to share the word, he couldn't figure out God would, why God would even do it. So he decided to run away. But God had a greater plan. 
He wanted to see and shape and form Jonah. He loved him so much that he wanted him to know the truth about what his word said. So he sent a storm. Remember, he hurled a great storm. He had a near-death experience. And here, Jonah is in this fish. And he doesn't know the end of the story like we do. He doesn't know that he's going to get out. He thinks he's fish food. And so he prays. But it's only once he gets to the depths of the darkness. It's only when he understands that he can't get away from the truth about what God's word actually says. See, the, the, the beauty of the idea of original sin, if there is such a thing, is that it reveals the truth about who we are. God's just speaking the truth. And the Bible is telling us the truth. You know, imagine if you're, you're going on a long trip. You're going to drive somewhere far, and you say, I'm going to take my, my van or my car to the mechanic just to get a checkup. And one of the things that he does is pulls the dipstick out to check the oil and looks at the end of the dipstick, and it's dry. It's completely dry, indicating that there's no oil in the engine, which we all know every engine, uh, combustible engine, needs oil to run. And he says, everything's fine. Just go on your trip. Well, you may get out of Memphis or out of Tennessee, but you're probably not going to make it to your destination without burning up your entire engine. We want to hear the truth from our mechanic, don't we? We also want to hear the truth from God's Word. Because sometimes when the engine light comes on and the temperature goes up, the way we solve the problem is just to turn the radio up. If the car's making a funny noise, I just turn the radio up and then there won't be a real problem anymore. But we know that doesn't solve the real problem. The engine needs oil in it. And so what we do in our world is in, we, we sense the, the problem that there's a sinful world and that I'm part of that, but we just turn the radio up. We just go into going about our day or, or minding our own business or doing the things that we love to do and we don't aren't attentive to this truth that God says. But see, the beauty of understanding what Paul is saying and what David is saying, what God is saying to us, is then we can actually acknowledge it and do something about it. But now, for most of us, we could probably change the oil in our car if we had to. But not too many people here would be able to take a broken engine out of a car and put a new one in. Maybe a couple of us. And if I say us, maybe I'm not certainly one that could. We can't really fix that problem. And in the same way, when it comes to dealing with this problem of original sin, we can't deal with it. But that's what grace is for. See, God wants us to know the truth about who we are so that he can enter into the brokenness of our own lives and see through the love of God and Jesus Christ. Grace is this most beautiful thing, but sometimes it's really difficult to see. Sometimes, not always, grace is hard to see because your life is just going along. Things seem to be going well. Like for Jonah, he was a popular prophet in those days. Everybody knew who he was. He didn't need an introduction. Everything was going fine. But then the check engine light came on for him. When God said, are you willing to share this good news with these other people that you actually despise? And when Jonah wouldn't, that was the check engine line. But he ignored it. He just turned the radio up. He said, let's go to Tarshish. And God continued to pursue. And he said, hey, there's a clunking noise in your engine now. And eventually the whole engine broke down. Because you see, there's something deeply wrong. Jonah was experiencing this sense of isolation, this spirit of discouragement or resentment, this longing sense that we can feel in 
our lives when we aren't willing to acknowledge what the red check engine light actually really means. And for Jonah, it was fleeing God, trying to get away from the one who would give him life. The only one who could give him life because Jonah wasn't agreeing with what God was asking him to do. And I don't know about you, but maybe there are times in your life when God is asking you to obey his word and you just don't want to do it. And it's not a big public thing like going to another country and proclaiming something like a scary thing like Jonah's being asked to do. But it's a different kind of uh, scary for you. Maybe it's forgiving someone that has really hurt you. Or maybe it's taking initiative to build a relationship with a person who's different than you to explore and engage them with the gospel. Or maybe it's looking at the communities in our area that are underserved and entering into those communities and saying, Lord, use me for this sake. What is it that God has been asking you to do? Last week, God gave you an assignment. I don't know what it was. But remember, after each sermon, I'm saying, what is the thing that God is telling you to do? Did you do that thing? If you just came back this Sunday and you didn't do it, God loves you still. But you missed out on a great blessing to do the thing that he told you to do. So you're getting another chance. One time only, today, only, another chance to listen to the Spirit of God, to say, what would he have you to do in light of this amazing grace? Stop running from him. Stop running from him and say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to do this thing. It feels scary. I don't know how to do it. Maybe I need to bring someone along to help me with it. But to respond in obedience to what God wants for you. And the good news is, is that when we get down into the darkness and we get into the struggle, that spirit of discouragement or defeat or despair, that's where God really reveals himself to us in the most powerful and wonderful way. God is gracious to us. He enters into the struggle. He loves us so much, he'll even send a storm to get our attention so that we can fully live into his presence. Listen to what uh, Jonah says. I cried out to the, to the Lord out of my distress, verse 2, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Here is what he's saying. Jonah's crying out. He's asking the Lord to do something. He's not said anything since leaving for Tarshish. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. He recognizes that now God has sent this storm for a purpose. Is it possible that the challenge that you're experiencing right now is something that God has sent? Not to harm you or to punish you, but to get your attention to help you to know that he's with you. Then he says in verse 4, I'm driven away from your sight. I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah sets his eyes on the holy temple, revealing that his eyes have been set elsewhere. Instead of looking to the Lord for his hope and his joy and walking in obedience, Jonah has looked to the purity of his own nation. He's looked to the value of his own comfort and he's run from God to find life. But the Lord refuses to let him go. He will not leave him alone. He says in verse 7, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Here we see the, a crack in the wall of Jonah's resistance. Instead of running or pushing, Jonah acknowledges that his very life is the Lord's. When it felt as though he was going to die, he remembered the Lord. Have you felt this last week or this year as though you were going to die? 
the, the discouragement and the, the billowing waves were going to overwhelm me. Have you said, I feel overwhelmed in this last week. I felt discouragement. I felt defeat. I felt sorrow. I felt sadness. It is then that we cry out to the Lord. We say, Lord, deliver me. Bring me up out of the depths and use me for your sake. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the Lord of their steadfast love. Steadfast love. Here, it seems that Jonah is beginning to see the power of grace. He uses that word steadfast love. That we, We've talked about this in sermon series past, right? It's a powerful word in the Old Testament. It's called hesed. It's the covenant love that God extends to his people. It's a beautiful and powerful word. And Jonah says it right there. Hope of steadfast love. Maybe Jonah is now beginning to see this in the depths of the darkness. But with verse 9, the voice of thanksgiving I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Here it is now that Jonah acknowledges that salvation is only from the Lord, the God of the storm, the God of the sea, the God of the wind and rain, the Israelites and the Ninevites. From the darkness of the depths, Jonah cries out. And what happens? What happens when Jonah is in that discouragement, defeat, struggle? Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. As soon as Jonah cries out to God, the Lord speaks to the fish and Jonah is saved. It's the power of grace. J.I. Packer uh, wrote a, a book called Knowing God where he unpacks for us in, a, in an amazing way this, uh, this grace that we often sing about and talk about that many people only know in the abstract. He talks about how it can make it real. He says, it's important to understand some of the crucial truths the doctrine of grace presupposes. If they're not acknowledged and felt in one's heart, clear faith in God's grace becomes impossible. Jonah's prayer begins to see, show that he's learning that. And the question for us is, are we learning that? Packer says that we first must understand our moral ill desert. The, the reality that in truth we're not born innocent in the eyes of God. Contrary to what 65% of evangelicals and 71% of Americans believe. And he says this is a prevailing view in our culture because of the triumph of the therapeutic. Our real problem, according to the world, is that we just need to have better self-esteem. Just think more positively about yourself. Forgive yourself. Love yourself. And even if you are thinking that you're sinful and broken, that's bad. Don't think about that. Now, I'm not saying remain there. There's the good news component of this, which is all about the grace. Um, but even now we're being told, if you've ever been taught this doctrine, it's bad. It's a bad thing for you. But it is what the Bible teaches. We need to know the truth. And Jonah says it. He says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. It was a divine justice that Jonah received. And then Packer also describes our spiritual impotence. Not only must we admit our sins, but we have to confess that we can't deal with them. You may be able to change your oil, but you can't change your own engine. The culture around us doesn't agree as though we're repeatedly told just to believe in ourselves and to trust in ourselves, to believe in your own truth, whatever it is. But this isn't a new idea. This is something that all religions do fundamentally. Just be a good person and you'll get what you deserve. That's how you get closer to God, by doing good things. But Jonah realizes there's nothing that he can do. He's literally in the depths. 
another experiencing uh, grace component that Packer highlights is knowing how costly salvation actually is. In, in Jonah's prayer twice, he looks toward the holy temple. He knows that on the mercy seat in the temple of God, that's where God promises to speak to us. The mercy seat was this big gold slab over, um, over the top of the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments were held. And on the Day of Atonement, a priest sprinkled the blood of atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people on the mercy seat. It's just an amazing picture in the Old Testament, this place where a holy God whose perfect moral righteousness represented by the Ten Commandments existed and the standard of perfection that God had for us reveals who Jesus is. And he's the only one that can ever fill that holy action. And it's this Jesus who went into the belly of the earth for three days who's given us an opportunity to rejoice and experience that grace. It's an amazing thing to consider. It's a humbling thing to consider that God, and though I'm sinful, would pursue and love me, that he would desire me, that he would set me free from sin and death. Jonah's beginning to see it. Have you? I'll never forget when we were living in St. Petersburg, uh, occasionally we would go out to uh, watch the sunset on the beach. And sometimes we did church services out there. We had baptisms in the Gulf of Mexico. And one time we had all of our officers go out for a worship service and a time of reflection to sing and, and pray and, uh, and watch the sunset. And the sunsets were beautiful. We had friends that went every single evening to go and watch the sunset. And, and you've seen a sunset before. This is an amazing thing to behold, you know, the, the the water is there and there's the sky the waves are coming in and if it's calm you know you see all these different array of colors it's just a beautiful thing to behold and so instead of talking and being loud we're just everyone gets quiet because you're seeing the sun okay now it's touching the horizon and it's going down and it's going down and we were enjoying this beauty of the, the sunset and I noticed that there was a guy sitting next to me and we had our chairs kind of in a semicircle because we were facing a person so his chair was facing this and here's the sunset and he never looked up one time he was looking down into the sand on the beach the whole time the sun set and I just thought, you, you got all the way out here. All you have to do to see it is just to do this, right? It's, it's not that hard. You, you, I, I just, now I don't know what was going on in his life because I didn't ask him about it. I should have said, just look over there, man. But it was this beautiful, majestic, glorious scene. And he missed it. He didn't appreciate it. He didn't value it. He didn't enter into it. He didn't cherish it. It didn't change his life. And how many of us have been around grace in that way and we don't cherish it and rejoice in it and, and swim out into it in the same way? We're just looking down at the sand and thinking about all the things we've got to do or we're mad about the situation or the, or the uh, name the issue. What is it that's making you mad? Or what is it that's making you feel overwhelmed? And yet there's this sunset, this beautiful display of the grace of God that's right there before you eyes, your eyes in the person of Jesus that you're just simply not appreciating. So then how do we, how do we apply this 
to our lives? How do we make this something that we can respond to? Now, it's in and of itself, in itself, in and of itself, something worthy simply just to be appreciated for what it is. But I would say that there's a way that we can apply this because you see, God is making an appointment with us. In the brokenness of this world, He's giving us glimpses of His grace and His mercy. Maybe it's a sunset. Maybe it's when a little girl walks into church on a Sunday morning like this because she's glad to be here, which is what I saw this morning. Or maybe when it's two children bring you a drawing, like I had two drawings given to me this morning, little pictures of grace that are given to you all around the world around you. See, God's making an appointment. And you're there, and it feels dark. Are you crying out like Jonah? Are you saying, yes, Lord, speak to me in the midst of this? Yes, there are, there are wind, and there's waves, and there's floods, and, and all the stuff. But are you crying out to the Lord, based on the word that you know, to say, Lord, come and help me? What does this look like for you? How do you apply this? Okay, so I'm going to offer some suggestions, but I want you to do what God is telling you to do, as always. But here's how I would apply it a sunset to my life. How do I apply a sunset to my life? Well, when I see a sunset, it brings me a sense of awe. I just see how God made the world. I think that's amazing. Right? There's all these stars and planets and the way our earth rotates, that the sun is there and we're rotating. It makes it looks like the sun's moving, but but we're moving. And I don't know how that all works, but like it, it gives me a sense of awe in the creation. And that awe reminds me that God is in control. That when I look at the struggles of this world, the big ones, the national conflicts, the neighborhood conflicts, or the inner conflicts that I feel, I remember that God is in control. When I look at a sunset, it gives me a sense of peace. Because as the world continues to turn day after day, that God has called me to live each and every day with a sense of his peace. Even in a world of conflict, I know that God is with me. And also a sunset gives me a sense of hope. I know this day has ended for me. Other people are experiencing the sunset hours away, but the world keeps going. And, and I know that God is going to bring another sunrise on the other coast, and so I can have hope for the future that I live in. I know that it's about to be night, and so there's, there's daytime and there's nighttime. And both of those things, that God is with me. And so whether I'm experiencing daytime, which means things are positive and going well, or things are difficult and dark, I know that God is with me. So then how much more... A little sunset can bring application to my life. And how much more is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because this isn't just a one little experience. This is a, a world-defining moment that Jesus rose from the dead and wants to be in relationship with me despite the fact that I was not born good. I was born into sin. And yet Jesus desires to be with me in my brokenness and to remind me that he's with me in my brokenness so that he can use me even in my brokenness. So how do you apply a sunset to life? How will you apply the gospel of grace in your life? I'm going to give you a few, a few seconds right now. I'm going to close in prayer. But I want you to listen. God, what is God telling you to do? so that you can live into this grace? Is there forgiveness that needs to be made? Is there peace that needs to be embraced? Is there a sense of awe or a sense of joy or a sense of hope? What is it that God's telling you to do?
Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.